Welcome to Northgate Bible Chapel Online. Thanks for checking out our podcast, where you can listen to our latest sermons, filled with teaching, encouragement, and hope from God's Word. So whether you're outdoors, in the car, or just poured some coffee, let's dive into today's message. Good morning, everyone. Good to see everyone today, and uh, I'm very, we are very excited to uh, start up this uh, series on the book of Hebrews, the epistle to the Hebrews, and uh, we will be in Hebrews for about 27 weeks, Lord willing, and uh, it's been a long time, I think, uh, we were, uh, yeah, Mike Rich and I were just going back to when we studied the book of Hebrews, and we couldn't uh, quite find when. Um, uh, so, so it's at least 10 years, uh, and so it's a, it's a good time to just uh, uh, dig deep into the truths uh, of the book of Hebrews. We were just singing, speak, O Lord, and the Lord has spoken. <laughs> uh, speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive food of your holy word. Take your truth and plant it deep in us. Uh, shape and fashion us in your likeness. Uh, teach us, Lord, full obedience. Holy reverence, true humility, test our thoughts and our attitudes in the radiance of your purity. Cause our faith to rise, cause our eyes to see your majestic love and authority, words of power that can never fail. Let their truth prevail over unbelief. And that is, uh, that is my prayer this morning. And uh, let's again look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you uh, that you have sent him as God's answer to man's sin. As we uh, open your word this morning, as we look through the book of Hebrews, that you would work in each of our hearts, wherever we are at, you knowest. We pray, Lord, that you would speak in a special way to each of our hearts, that we would see Christ Jesus as preeminent, uh, not just intellectually, but rather um, in our lives, day by day, moment by moment. And knowing Christ Jesus, that we would truly be living lives that are transformed, looking unto you, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Father, we give you thanks for him. Pray, Lord, that you would uh, speak uh, through my mouth this morning, that your words uh, would go forth and bear fruit. We give you thanks in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Turn with me, if you would, to uh, Hebrews chapter 1, and we'll read the first three verses. And today would be just an introduction uh, to the book, uh, and just briefly looking at the first three verses. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 to 3. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time, in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom, we, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word, the writer uh, 
presents threefold, a threefold progression of, of God's working in the various dispensations or periods of time. Uh, he presents the past, he presents the present, and he presents the future to the Hebrew believers. It connects the dots, so to speak, between the old, the present, or the new, and to the future. The book represents Christ, or presents Christ Jesus as God's final answer to man's sin. The superiority of Christ over all, the greater than all. The epistle of he, the he, to the Hebrews exalts the person and the work of Christ, the Son of God. When you realize all that you have in and through him, you have no desire for anyone else or anything else. God has spoken and uh, we take him for his word and that transforms our lives and we need nothing else. Chapters 1 to 10 lay the foundational principles of the superiority of Christ Jesus. And uh, chapters 11 to 13 are the practical principles that should govern our lives as an outflow of having Christ Jesus as preeminent in our lives. Now, why study the book of Hebrews? Uh, not just the fact that we haven't looked into it in a while, but rather the study of the book of Hebrews should propel his church to grow in our desire and intimacy with Christ Jesus, because it presents Christ Jesus, our Savior, as glorified. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 2, the, the verse of the month uh, is looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has now sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, looking unto Jesus. The exalted Savior is all that we need. He is enough, and I need nothing more or nothing less. The study of the book of Hebrews should also propel us to get out of our status quo, so to speak, of our complacency if there are areas in our life where we are complacent. Uh, of the monotony and the sluggishness of our Christian walk, if there are those things in our lives, and to embolden or embolden us to greater faith, uh, to propel us to greater acts of services, uh, to have an elevated hope as we await for our Lord's coming in the midst of all the trials and difficulties that are around us. The study of the book of Hebrews will encourage our hearts in times of deep discouragement and weariness of heart. In Hebrews 12 and verse 3, the second verse of the uh, verse of the month is for consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in the soul. What is the solution here to discouragements that we are going to be facing and weariness of heart and soul? Consider our Lord Jesus Christ. And the word consider there is uh, to have a better estimate of him, to contemplate him in detail, to consider by weighing all the things associated with Christ Jesus. The beautiful picture of Christ Jesus. The book of Hebrews um, compels us also uh, to give a listening ear, as uh, Mr. Minter would say, 
uh, and quote R. Taylor, you know, give a listening ear uh, as the Lord speaks to us through his son and he urges us to press on to maturity uh, in full obedience uh, to what the Lord has to speak and then we in turn obeying whatever he has to say. The book of Hebrews, not just uh, all of this, but rather also provides us with warnings. Warnings uh, uh, against hardness of heart. Warnings against harboring bitterness. Warnings against the deceitfulness of sin. And all of this, uh, the book of Hebrews, compels our heart to be established so that it can, our hearts can be established by grace, rooted and built up, as Paul would say in the Colossians, to the Colossians. So who wrote, wrote the book? And uh, you must, must have seen my text. Um, and uh, everyone gave the right answer. Uh, so I was uh, like, ah, oh, I was looking for a, a different answer maybe, but uh, everyone gave the correct answer. Uh, you know, the, uh, and the answer is anonymous. No, we don't know. The author of the letter to the Hebrews remains shrouded in mystery. Most of the churches um, in the eastern part of the Roman Empire believed that Paul uh, was the authored the book, um, leading to its early acceptance in the canon uh, by the churches in those areas. Uh, the theology of the book of Hebrews resembles many of the letters of Paul, especially when you look at uh, the book of uh, uh, book to the Colossians, and when you compare that to the book of the Hebrews, you see a lot of similarities there. Uh, the pre-existence and the creatorship uh, uh, of Christ that is presented uh, by Paul. Uh, the humiliation of Christ that is presented, uh, the new covenant uh, that is presented in the Colossians, the distribution of, of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and so forth. The Western church were skeptics of Paul's authorship. Uh, none of the epistles of uh, Paul are anonymous like the Hebrews. So maybe, we don't know, maybe it wasn't Paul. Uh, the Paulist Greek uh, of the Hebrews differs radically from Paul's style. Uh, so there are many other reasons uh, that uh, scholars believe uh, to indicate that maybe it was not Paul. Uh, and some say it was Barnabas. Uh, the Levit his Levitical background uh, would maybe allude to the fact that uh, he, uh, you know, with his priestly functions or the background and priestly functions, uh, would maybe the author of the book. Uh, some say that it was Luke, another companion of Paul. Uh, others think it was Apollos. Uh, Apollos, again, with, the, with his acquaintance uh, with Paul, as well as being tutored by Priscilla and Aquila, uh, would likely explain the theological writings of Paul. And uh, again, we read that Apollos was an eloquent man and mighty in scriptures. Maybe it was uh, Paul's companion, Silas and some say Priscilla. So does it matter? Does it matter uh, who wrote the book? The writer that the Lord used to convey his message is not as much important, but rather it is the message that is of utmost importance. Uh, we are not here to debate uh, on whether this is being included in the book of the canon. It is God's word and it is in the canon. And uh, we take that. Uh, all scripture is uh, breathed by God, as we read. So when was it written? 
The book makes no reference uh, to uh, the destruction of the temple um, at Jerusalem in uh, AD 70. Uh, now, again, uh, in between, I'm going to be asking a couple of questions to the kids. So those who answer, uh, you can, uh, you know, uh, come and collect some uh, Reese's peanut butter cups. Uh, so for those who like that, uh, so just, just, just a heads up there. So uh, a question here. Uh, the temple that was destroyed in Jerusalem in AD 70, which temple was it? Any of the kids? Uh, I'll give you three options. Uh, there was uh, the Solomon's temple, there was Zerubbabel's temple, and then there was the Herodian temple. Which was the temple that was destroyed after Jesus' time? Anyone? Oh, there, Emmeline. The third one, yes, Herodian Temple, that's right. Uh, <coughs> if you look at uh, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 11, in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 11, uh, we read over there, every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. Note the present tense there. The present tense are the verbs used in describing the sacrificial uh, rituals, uh, and, and those might imply uh, a date prior to the destruction of the temple by Emperor Titus. And so um, we can infer from all these uh, that the likely date of the writing of the book of Hebrews was prior to AD 70. Who was it written to? Who was the book of Hebrews written to? To you and me, that's right. Um, the book of Hebrews, uh, the writer would write, uh, to the second generation Jewish believers. Uh, turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 3. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 3, we read like this, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. So we see over here, uh, it was, yes, the first generation uh, Christians were there, but again, it was written to the second generation Jewish believers, confirmed to us by those who heard him. Who was it written to? Uh, understanding who the book of Hebrews was written to would give us a perspective of what these saints were going through as this message came to them, and that applies to us today as well. They were written to persecuted saints. Uh, if you look in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32 to 34, we see that the saints were going through hard struggles with suffering. We see them being publicly exposed uh, to reproach and affliction. We see them being imprisoned. We see them uh, having their properties being plundered, so to speak. And, and the same applies even today in many parts of the world. We have persecuted saints, just like the saints in the, uh, in the times of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
The book of Hebrews was written uh, to those that were seduced by false teachers, not just the fact that there was persecution, but they were also afflicted with all kinds of false doctrines. We read in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 9, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings and doctrines. And not just that, uh, they were also caught up in the Levitical priesthood of the, and Mosaic law, so to speak. Just think about it. You know, they left their uh, Jewish traditions. They came out. Oh, they still see the temple that is standing there, uh, keeping in mind that uh, this probably was written prior to AD 70. The rituals are still going on uh, in the temple. The sacrificial system is still going on. Here is the new message that Christ's followers have. They are being persecuted. Now there are false doctrines that are coming in. They are in a crossroads, so to speak, of what to do. In Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 17, we read, Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, what further need was there for another priest that should arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not according to the order of Aaron? So here we have uh, saints that are in the crossroads. Uh, they were torn, they were tempted just to go back to the old, uh, just leaving these things. That was the easy route. They were tempted to go back to their mortal and sinful high priest that was visible versus the perfect high priest who was at the right hand of God and invisible. They were tempted to offer tangible sacrificial offerings, blood of bulls and goats, and the ashes of the heifer which could never take away sin. Versus as we read in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 14, how much more shall the blood of Christ? Here they are standing in the crossroads. Do I turn to the left or do I turn towards Christ and his sufficiency? Christ is God's final answer to man. Are you in a crossroads today? Huh? Are you in a crossroads and probably uh, not unlike the... Uh, the, the Hebrews and, and, and those saints of that time, uh, our crossroads are not with the Mosaic law and, uh, and, and the, uh, the Jewish Levitical system, but what is pulling you away from Christ Jesus? Uh, take a moment to think and ponder through that. If you're in the crossroads today of sin uh, or whatever else that is pulling you away, uh, Christ is able to save. Christ is able to save to the uttermost, is the message of Hebrews. Christ is sufficient to save to the uttermost. No sin is so grave that he cannot save you out of it. He lives, and he lives to make intercession as a lamp that was slain for us, ever sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. I need no other. You need no other. Hebrews 7, verse 25. He is able to save. Savior, he can move a mountain. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever, author of salvation. He rose and conquered the grave. He is mighty to save. What are the primary themes? So another question for the kids uh, today. Uh, so what are the primary theme 
what is the primary theme of the book of Hebrews? And there are multiple primary themes. So there you go, Taylor. Amen. Uh, Baylor spoke the entire message, so that's good. <laughs> Anyone else? Anyone else? Oh, there you go. Yep. Jesus is our high priest. We, unlike the old priests who time and again would go and were imperfect uh, and would go once into the holiest of holy, we have a perfect high priest. Amen. Anyone else? Yes. Emily. Uh, could, could you say that louder, please? Yep. Uh, standing before God, yes, amen. Anyone else? Uh, other than kids? Brother Bill? I don't think Baylor mentioned Moses, did he, Brother? Uh, I don't think so. So, yep, greater than Moses. Yes, brother. The old was just a shadow, and Jesus is the way. The old pointed to what was coming, uh, but now we have uh, what has already come, and we need to rely on that. Yes. Anyone else? Yes. I always think of it as the, uh, the Jew becomes a present. Everything that came before in the Old Testament was really great for the Jew, but Christ is much better, yeah. and he's in a whole different category. Amen foreshadow. Uh, it was a foreshadow of the things that would come. Uh, anyone else? Steve. Uh, he's our confidence to draw towards the throne of God. Amen. He is our confidence, our hope, our anchor for the soul. Anyone else? Sisters can participate as well. Uh, yes. Examples of how to walk by faith. Amen. Absolutely do. Uh, Obi, did I see your hand raised? No? Okay. <laughs> okay, so faith, Hebrews 11, verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. Uh, the blood of Christ, uh, Hebrews 9 and verse 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God? Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. The priesthood of Jesus in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14, we read, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. The one sacrifice in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 12, we read, But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice, sat down at the right hand of God. The new covenant uh, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 24. To Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant and the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than the blood of Abel. Of sin or the putting away of sin in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 13. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. 
And then as a follow-on in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 26, we read, But now once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. A hope. In Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 19, we read, This hope we have as an anchor for the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil. The superiority of Christ. Everything that we have in Christ Jesus is greater than Moses, greater than the angels, uh, greater than the Aaronic priesthood, and so forth. Everything is greater. Everything is better. That brings us to uh, what are the key words that are used in the book of Hebrews? Uh, generally, we look at uh, blood and high priest and angels, uh, all, all of those are key words. But uh, I'd, I'd just like to point out two key words for us to consider as we go through the series. Uh, one is the better. Uh, it's used 13 times uh, in the New Testament, well, 17 times in the New Testament. Of the 17 times it is used in the New Testament, 13 times it is used in the book of Hebrews. And what does that imply? What does better imply? Now, when I say uh, gummy bears are better than Reese's peanut butter cups, I'm making a comparative imperative statement, right? I have tasted gummy bears, I've tasted peanut butter cups, and I think uh, gummy bears are better. Uh, it's, it's a comparative statement, right? And, and, and so there is a comparison here to speak. You, you have seen the old, you have seen the new, and now that the new is here, uh, that is much better, is what the writer has to say to the, the Hebrew believers. The superiority of Christ and his salvation um, versus the Hebrew religious system. Something more advantageous, something more excellent, something more nobler than the old, which renders the old as obsolete or done away with. When what is true has arrived, the copies or patterns of the antitypes are not needed, uh, are not what we need to hold on to, but rather what is true and what is current. So in the book of Hebrews, we see the better uh, being mentioned here in multiple verses. He is better than the angels in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 4. He is better, he provides a better hope. Uh, as we just uh, looked at, and also in Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 19, for the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope. There is a better covenant uh, that God has brought forth and wrought through Christ Jesus, and we read that in Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 22, but Jesus has become the surety of a better covenant. There is a better promise in, in Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 6, we read, But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry in as much as he is the mediator of a better covenant which is established on better promises. His sacrifice is a better sacrifice than the sacrificial system of the past. And we read that in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 23. The heavenly things themselves purified with better sacrifices than these. 
a better possession for the believers in Christ Jesus. These were saints that had their possessions taken away, but they were comforted by the promise of the fact that they had a better possession reserved for them in heaven. In Hebrews 9 and verse 23, we read, in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23, we read, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession. A better country. We are pilgrims on this world, in this world, and uh, we move from place to place, and things are difficult at times. But we have a better country. Our country is not here, but rather uh, our heavenly abode where Christ Jesus is there is our country. In Hebrews 11 and verse 16, we read, but now they, that is talking about the faith warriors in Hebrews chapter 11, desire a better country that is a heavenly country. A better resurrection, as we looked at earlier today in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 35. So now that Jesus Christ is better than all, Jesus Christ is superior and greater than all. Uh, God's complete and final message to man uh, is through him. And we read in, in, in verse 1, God has spoken. God has spoken. God, who in various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, here in these last days has spoken to us through his Son whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he has made the world. And William Newell had this to say, um, you know, it is astonishing, it is astonishing indeed, even that in old times, the infinite, eternal, glorious God should speak unto dust and ashes as man as us. Just com comprehend that, you know. God has spoken. Uh, I often wonder, between the time period of Malachi and Christ's appearance, there were 400 years. 400 years of silence from God because of sin. What would it have been for man during that time frame, awaiting something that was more perfect that is to come? But yet 400 years of God not speaking to man until he finally brings forth his son. to die on the cross for us. God has, in the ages past, spoken to his people through the prophetic spokesmen like Moses and Joshua and Samuel and Nathan and Elijah and Amos and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. He has spoken in diverse manners is what we read here, or in, in different ways, so to speak. Uh, God, in times past, spoke through visions, through, through dreams to uh, Daniel and Josh, uh, Joseph. He spoke to Moses and Abraham uh, by appearing to them. Uh, he spoke to Ezekiel by the river Chabar uh, in uh, apocalyptic uh, visions, so to speak. Uh, there are various ways in which God spoke in times past through his prophets. The message of the prophets of old were fragmented in the sense they were siloed away uh, messages based on what the saints needed during that time, but were not the complete picture, so to speak. But today, he has provided for us the complete picture 
in and through our Lord Jesus Christ. God has spoken through his son, God's final and complete message to man. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 10, uh, you don't have to turn there, but uh, we read like this, and we read this morning as well. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully. Prophets of old, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, they all inquired and searched carefully for this grace and this salvation that was to come. How blessed we are to be living in this age of grace, to look back and to see Christ Jesus, our perfect salvation that has been wrought through him that has already come. The true one has arrived. I no longer need an antitype, is what the letter to the Hebrews uh, was uh, encouraging the saints on. The antitype of the symbolisms can provide beautiful insights. I'm not saying that they are obsolete from the standpoint of we shouldn't take lessons from it. Uh, we see beautiful lessons of Christ Jesus today uh, in and through the Old Testament. But all that we need and we can hold on to is Christ Jesus. He is the Son of God, uh, is what we read. Uh, God has always desired, um, you know, so man has always desired uh, to be seen by, you know, man has always desired to see God. Uh, one of the questions I asked the kids at the dinner table yesterday was, why do man make idols? You know, I just came back from, uh, uh, from, from a trip uh, to a land that has full of idols. Uh, and, and, and the idols uh, are more like, you know, elephants' heads and, and, and bulls' body and whatnot. Uh, and, and you see that all over. Why do men make idols? They make idols and they, they worship idols because they have something in them about something that is greater than them, a creator, so to speak. And so they make these idols. Uh, they desire for God to be in their midst and visible, so to speak. And that is why they make idols. But God had presented a solution for that. He knew what was happening in Solomon's temple. He knew what was happening uh, in Zerubbabel's temple where uh, all these idols were being worshipped. And he said, done with that, I'm going to be providing you my son the visible representation of the God incarnate, the infinite that has now been brought into the realms of the finite. When the Lord would tell Thomas and Philip, uh, if you had known me, you would have known my father, and from now on you know him because you have seen him, is what Jesus would tell Philip as well as Thomas. And, and what was Thomas's, what was Philip's response? What is Philip's response? Uh, anyone? Kids? What is Philip's response to Jesus' statement? You have seen me, you have seen the Father. What is Philip's response? Show us the Father and it's sufficient for us. Show us the Father and it is sufficient for us. Philip was like, Lord, this is okay, but, uh, you know, just, just show us him. You know, we want to see him. And the Lord's answer in, in John chapter 14 and verse 9 was this, Have I not been with you so long 
and yet you have not known me, Philip. He who has seen me has seen the Father. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? He is the visible representation of the Lord God of heaven on the earth. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He is the son of God. He is the inheritor of all. He is the creator of all. Again, look at the similarities between these passages and, and the book of Colossians. The inheritor of all, the creator of all. He's the upholder or the sustainer of everything. He not just creates everything, but rather he also sustains everything. He holds everything together. He is the redeemer of all. And we as the redeemed are now co-heirs with Christ, as we read in Romans 8 and verse 17. And he has now sat down at the right hand of God. Done is the work that saves. Finished is the work of righteousness. And although he sits at the right hand of God, his work is continuing on as an intercessor, uh, appealing to the Lord God of heaven for us. Another key word, so we looked at the key word better, the other key word that you don't commonly look at is the word let us, let us. It's used 13 times, uh, 13 times in the book of Hebrews. Uh, and it is the most of any books, uh, the, the combined word let us is used most in the book of Hebrews versus any other book of the New Testament. Knowing the past, how does that change us or enable us to be transformed in the present? How does that shape our present, knowing what Christ has done and knowing what we have in Christ Jesus. It is a collective call. It is a collective call or a summon uh, to take, in, uh, to take uh, it intentionally, uh, to be intentional about uh, proceeding on. Let us, and let us what? Uh, we read in various passages uh, in the book of Hebrews, let us be diligent to enter that rest. Uh, let us hold fast to the confession of our faith. Let us come boldly before the throne of grace. Let us draw near with a full assurance uh, of faith. Let us consider one another and stir up strife uh, in order to stir up love and good works. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 12, let us lay aside every weight and sin that so easily besets us. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 13, let us go forth to him outside the camp. Go forth, let us. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 15, we read, therefore by him, let us continually offer the sacrifices, not of bulls and goats, but rather the sacrifices of our praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks. Let us go forth unto him, knowing what Christ has done for our souls. Uh, let us look unto him, the author and perfecter of our faith, and let us run the course with endurance. The other major theme, uh, which I did not hear uh, today, was uh, as the unshakable kingdom, and seeking the unshakable kingdom. Again, going back to the, the Hebrew believers, uh, their city was going to be torn apart, their temple was going to be destroyed, the Lord knew all these things, and he gives them 
hope in the midst of dire circumstances. Um, about 15 times uh, in the book of Hebrews, there is the combination of heaven, heavens or eternal that is used. Uh, Hebrews is the book of expectations. The eternal kingdom to come uh, is the primary focus in this book with the Levitical system rendered obsolete and with the superiority of Christ in view wherein we need no other, the writer exhorts the saints to fix their eyes on Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 14, we read uh, of seeking that kingdom. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek that which is to come. We read of the unshakable kingdom in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 28. Therefore, since we have received a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us by grace, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. We have an unshakable kingdom. And then he ends with this promise in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 37. And yet for a while, he who is coming will come and he will not tarry. Seeking that kingdom, the everlasting kingdom, we live in a world that is shaken and fallen by sin. The stench of death is all over, but the writer exhorts us to keep our eyes focused on what is coming, the unshakable kingdom. Abraham sought the city. He didn't seek Canaan, but rather he sought that kingdom that would come, and we read in Hebrews chapter 11, for he waited for that city which had foundations whose builder and maker is God. And may that be our desire as well as we await his coming. And finally, um, the book of Hebrews also presents warnings. Warnings, exhortations, encouragements for the believer as we go about in our walk, as we await his coming. It is easy to lose focus. It is easy to lose perspective. It is easy to fall into the state of sluggishness and dullness. Hebrews is a book of warnings to awaken those who are falling asleep under the wheel. Warnings not just for the kids. Uh, we all need warnings from time to time. The word of God is living, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the divine center of the soul and the spirit. We need his word. And as we were singing this morning, that the word would resonate in our hearts and it, that it would transform us when God speaks. And dispersed in this five sections of the book of Hebrews, uh, and uh, because of time, I'm not going to go there, uh, are, are different warnings for the saints. Do not neglect the so great a salvation. Uh, if your heart is hardened, uh, exhort one another and be diligent to enter his rest. Do not be sluggish. The antidote to that is uh, imitate those that are faithful that have gone ahead of us. Uh, if you're willfully sinning, the antidote for that is recall the former days, recall the days of old uh, when you truly came to the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for him. Uh, you need endurance, uh, repent, confess, and move on. Uh, if you are harboring the root of bitterness, the antidote again is just simply heeding his voice and obeying his voice. So may the Lord help us as we uh, go through this book of Hebrews. Uh, as we see the perfect one, the better one, uh, the one that is greater than all, and let us move on 
looking unto him the author and perfecter of our faith. Let us consider him during times of trials and difficulties. Let us look to the eternal kingdom and keep that in perspective for he has promised that he will not delay. And let us heed to the warnings that he has provided for us for our own good and, and for his glory. Let's uh, pray. Father, we thank you for your son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the better one, the one uh, who was in the bosom of the Father, full of grace and truth. We still cannot comprehend today, Lord, that you would, in the midst of the silence of the 400 years, that you would bring forth the perfect salvation for your people. And how privileged we are, Lord, uh, to have been born in this age of grace and to look back and to see the cross, to see my Redeemer that was hanging on, 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 on the cruel tree for my sins. Help us, Lord, to keep that in perspective and also knowing that you are coming soon to take us unto yourself. We thank you for your promises uh, that I go to prepare a place for you so that where I go, there you may come and I will come back to take you unto myself is what you have promised. And Father, we look forward to that day. Come, Lord Jesus, come soon. We give you thanks again uh, for this opportunity to open your word as we uh, study this book that you would, uh, uh, you would encourage our hearts uh, to ever look on to Jesus. Give you thanks for your son, our Lord Jesus Christ, in his precious name we pray. Amen.